Section 23 of Reminiscences and Table Talk of Samuel Rogers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Duke of Wellington speaking. After the Battle of Victoria, the Spaniards said, You came over the English, Menden, a Basque word for a chain of hills. Your black prince came over them, and there he fought for Don Pedro the Cruel. At that old castle he had his headquarters. It agrees with the account in Frossa. F. Ponsonby speaking. He, the Duke, would often come into my room when he rose and conversed for a few minutes. But once, it was during the siege of Burgos, he came and walked about and said nothing. At last he opened the door and said as he went out, Cox was killed last night. Waterloo. Wellington resumes the narration. When Bonaparte left Elba for France, I was at Vienna and received the news from Lord Burgesh, our minister at Florence. The instant it came, I communicated it to every member of the Congress, and all laughed. The Emperor of Russia, most of all. What was in your letter to His Majesty this morning, said his physician? for when he broke the seal he clapped his hands and burst out laughing. Various were the conjectures as to whither he was gone, but none would hear of France. All were sure that in France he would be massacred by the people when he appeared there. I remember Tarragon's words so well. Pour la France? Non. Bonaparte I never saw, though during the battle, Waterloo, we were once, I understood, within a quarter of a mile of each other. I regret it much, for he was a most extraordinary man. To me, he seems to have been at his acme at the Peace of Tilsit, and gradually to have declined afterwards. He would have done better, I think, to have stood on the defensive. Six hundred thousand men would have gathered round him, and the jostling of so many would have been terrible. If he had waited for his moment, and attacked when and where he pleased from the centre, his success in one instance might have been fatal to the rest. At Waterloo he had the finest army he ever commanded, and everything up to the onset must have turned out as he wished. Indeed, he could not have expected to beat the Prussians as he did at Ligny in four hours. But two such armies as those at Waterloo have seldom met, if I may judge from what they did on that day. It was a battle of giants. A battle of giants. Many of my troops were new, but the new fight well, though they manoeuvre ill, better perhaps than many who have fought and bled. As to the way in which some of our ensigns and lieutenants braved danger, the boys just come from school, exceeds all belief. They ran as at cricket. Very early in the day the Nassau Brigade were shifting their ground from an orchard, and when I remonstrated with them they said in their excuse that the French were in such force near them. It was to no purpose that I pointed to our guards on the right. It would not do, and so bewildered were they that they sent a few shots after me as I rode off. And with these men, I said to the corps diplomatique who were with me, and with these men I am to win the battle? They shrugged their shoulders. 
How did they behave in the action? Well enough, and it should be remembered that, as they had never served with us, we had not acquired their confidence. They had come over to us at Bayonne, having formed the rear guard of the French army in Spain, and knowing as they now did that Bonaparte was in the field, their dread of him must have borne some proportion to the courage with which he had formerly inspired them. I never saw the narrative of Lady Delancey. I should like much to see it. I never saw her. I heard she went through a good deal. Delancey was with me and speaking to me when he was struck. We were on a point of land that overlooked the plain, and I had just been warned off by some soldiers. But as I saw well from it, and as two divisions were engaging below, I had said, Never mind when a ball came leaping along on ricochet, as it is called, and striking him on the back, sent him many yards over the head of his horse. He fell on his face and bounded upward and fell again. All the staff dismounted and ran to him, and when I came up to him he said, Pray tell them to leave me and let me die in peace. I had him conveyed into the rear, and two days afterwards, when on my return from Brussels I saw him in a barn, he spoke with such strength that I said, for I had reported him among the killed, Why, Delancey, you will have the advantage of Sir Condy and Castle Rackrent. You will know what your friends said of you after you were dead. I hope I shall, he replied. Poor fellow, we had known each other ever since we were boys, but I had no time to be sorry. I went on with the army and never saw him again. When all was over, Blucher and I met at La Maison Rouge. It was midnight when he came, and riding up, he threw his arms round me and kissed me on both cheeks as I sat in the saddle. I was then in pursuit, and as his troops were fresh, I halted mine and left the business to him. In the day, I was for some time encumbered with the corps diplomatique. They would not leave me, so would I would. We supped afterwards together between night and morning in a spacious tent erected in the valley for that purpose. Podza di Borgo was there among others, and at my request he sent off a messenger with the news to Ghent, where Louis the Eighteenth breakfasted every morning in the bow window to the street, and where every morning the citizens assembled under it to gaze on him. When the messenger, a Russian, entered the room with the news, the king embraced him and all embraced him and one another all over the house. An emissary of Rothschild was in the street, and no sooner did he see these demonstrations than he took wing for London. Not a syllable escaped from his lips at Bruges, at Ostend, or at Margate, nor till Rothschild had taken his measures on the stock exchange, was the intelligence communicated to Lord Liverpool. Footnote. This statement about the operations on the Stock Exchange, though doubtless believed at the time, has since been declared mythical. On that day I rode Copenhagen from four in the morning till twelve at night, and when I dismounted he threw up his heels at me as he went off. If he fed, it was on the standing corn and as I sat in the saddle. He was a chestnut horse. I rode him hundreds of miles in Spain and at the Battle of Toulouse. 
He died blind with age, 28 years old, in 1835 at Strathfield Say, where he lies buried within a ring fence. Sir Henry Hardinger's narration begins, Hardinge at Gladstone, Saturday, June the 24th, 1843. Before the Battle of Ligny, in which I lost my arm about noon, Blucher, thinking that the French were gathering more and more against him, requested I would go and solicit the Duke for some assistance. I set out, but I had not proceeded far for that purpose when I saw a party of horse coming towards me, and observing that they had short tails, I knew at once that they were English, and soon distinguished the Duke. He was on his way to the Prussian headquarters, thinking that they might want some assistance and he instantly gave directions for a supply of cavalry. How are they forming? he inquired. In column, not in line, I replied. The Prussian soldier says Blucher will not stand in line. Then the artillery will play upon them, and they will be beaten damnably. So they were. At the last Waterloo dinner, when my health was drunk as usual, and as usual I rose to return thanks, I stated briefly this occurrence, and the Duke, when I alluded to it, cried, Hear, hear. Note by Samuel Rogers Two days before the Battle of Waterloo, the Duke came into Lady Mornington's room at Brussels, saying, Napoleon has invaded Belgium. Order horses and wait at Antwerp for further instructions. When they were there at Antwerp, Oliver entered their room waving a bloody handkerchief and informed her that a victory was gained and that they must return forthwith to Brussels. She and her daughter had not been there, Brussels, half an hour when the Duke arrived, and walking up and down the apartment in a state of the greatest agitation, burst into tears and uttered these memorable words. The next greatest misfortune to losing a battle is to gain such a victory as this. End of section 23